the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the podcast, we're talking about the true meaning of the holidays. Also going to be talking about how difficult and challenging these holidays can be for many people. Plus, health and wellness at the holidays and physical fitness trends into 2023. Also going to be talking about how difficult it is for Brittany Griner at this time of year after what she has been through and some safety tips for preventing falls and fractures. I'm Maureen McGrath and the Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now Maureen's Health Headline. Well, as you as you were, I'm sure, very shocked and just uh, gobsmacked, really, and um, about the death by suicide of Twitch boss dancer. Um, it, it just it, it's shocking for so many because he seemed like the quintessential definition of happiness and joy, and and I am certain that he brought so much joy to his family and friends and, and people around the world. And we're left with a death by suicide and it's extremely difficult to comprehend for so many of us. Joining me on the line is Steve Serbic. He is the Esquimalt Fire Chief and author of the book, Unbroken, a firefighter's memoir. Steve has dealt with depression himself and he's going to talk to us um, about frontline workers and also about the shock of a loss like that of Twitch Boss Dancer. Good evening, Steve. Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, good. Well, thanks for coming on, especially at this time of year. This is not the most wonderful time of the year for many, many people. Um, Life knows that and, uh, you know, life does not know that it's the holiday season. Um, and, and also life is messy. People deal with financial hardships, sorrow, grief, stress, depression, and more. And I was, you know, kind of surprised to see that, um, 96% of calls to firefighters involves accidents or other medical issues. So I wanted to talk first a little bit about Twitch Boss Dancer and how shocking that was for the world because what, what we saw was, elation and joy and music and happiness and and a sense of humor and all those things and fame, all those things that we think go along with good mental health, but it doesn't necessarily. And before we go into that, I want to just say, if you are suffering with any suicidal thoughts or um, having or struggling in any way and and need to talk to somebody, the 988-Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available in 24, it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, languages English, Spanish, and others. So um, do not hesitate to reach out. Um, but Steve, what are your thoughts on that? This is this is confusing for so many people. Uh, Maureen, you know I work in the fire service, and uh, we we've been trying to get a read on suicides within the fire service for the last five or six years. And um, you know, Stephen Boss was a very well liked individual I, I read a quote that you know when he walked into a room it lit up and so it's it's it, you know kate spade anthony Bourdain. like if you look at actors it's hard to understand what people are going through so yeah it was shocking it's very sad um he drove you know half a block from his home and rented a motel room and 
took his life there and left a note for his family with the struggles I, that he was having. I mean, that's not uncommon. I did my career in Surrey and you go to so many suicides and you see how people take their lives. And, you know, it's, I always say it's not that people want to die. They just don't want to live. So they're in so much pain and they want that pain to stop. And, you know, I'm assuming that that's what Stephen Boss was going through. I mean, he had his anniversary, his ninth anniversary, three days before he took his life. And he, he has a beautiful six-year-old son and a beautiful three-year-old daughter. And, yeah, I'm assuming that, he, you know, he just didn't want to live anymore. Um, I mean, and I mean, just so tragic. I'm, I'm speechless. And and the family, what the family must be going through, the mother, the wife, uh, the children. You know, it's one thing about the fans, but you know, and it also, we we don't think about death by suicide until you know it seems somebody famous does it, and we're all surprised by that because, you know, we think that if you have money, you have everything. If you have money and, and then you have fame on top of that, wow, you, you must have it all and, and nothing could possibly go wrong. But, but mental health doesn't discriminate. And we all know that money doesn't buy happiness. It certainly makes life easier, but it doesn't buy that happiness. And uh, the, the internal struggles that lead to death by suicide, you know, juxtaposed with the life that he portrayed uh, to the world, is, is that something common is that um you know oftentimes is it the tears of a clown well i think uh, you know i i've lost three good friends um and i lost my brother my brother phoned me the day he took his life so i think it's called survival mode i mean if you look at who he was i mean he, he loved his mom he loved his wife he loved his kids and he was fighting a battle that nobody saw. You know, maybe his wife and some of his close friends saw, but certainly uh-huh. his fans didn't see. And, you know, there's a stigma around that. It, people, they, they will feel that people will think less of you. And depression doesn't care how much money you have in your bank account, and it doesn't care how much fame you have. And if you're uh-huh. battling a quiet battle with depression, it's, it's, it's very hard. And, yeah, it's, it's a very sad day. Steve, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that your brother died by suicide. Um, and you have been very open about your own depression in an effort in particular to help other people. And I'm sure it's been therapeutic as well um, for you. You're a frontline worker. Uh, we have a couple minutes here before we have to go to break, but if you don't mind sharing with the listeners um, your own story of depression. Yeah, you know what, Maureen, depression isn't a death sentence, and it certainly isn't something that uh, you can't get over with support and, you know, from your family, from your doctor. Um, I work with a lot of firefighters who just, they kind of acknowledge that they have it, and it's, it's, that is a very tough day for them, but it is the courageous part of getting help and getting better. And, you know, for me, I had a very good friend who taught me to open up enough where I talked about it and and, you know, I went to my doctor and I, wor- I worked very hard over the last five or six years. And now I talk openly about it. I have a beautiful wife. I have a beautiful life. And you know what? Not every day is perfect, Maureen. But you know what? My life is amazing. And, uh, yeah, I try and help others by talking openly about it. And, and I hope that, you know, that makes them feel maybe not alone. And not easy for, especially for men, to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and open and share feelings like that because that, that just 
flies in the face of men are supposed to be strong and masculine. And when we associate depression with weakness, but it really has nothing to do with weakness. Yeah, a good friend of mine, John Ogrodjachuk, is a professor of psychiatry at UBC. He started a, mm-hmm. a, a resource called Heads Up Guys, and it's all about mm-hmm. getting in the shame hole for men. Like, once you get down there, it's very hard. If you're alone and you don't want to talk about talk about it or talk to people, it's a scary place to be. And, you know, Dr. Ogrodjachuk, he works in a way where he reaches out to people and creates a, an online resource for people to look at it, and it's very effective, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to. We're going to go to break. What's that? Go ahead. I said it's very tough around the holidays if you're all alone battling depression. Steve Serbic, Esquimalt Fire, the Esquimalt Fire Chief, is my guest. He's also the author of the book Unbroken: A Firefighter's Memoir. Steve, thanks for hanging on the line. Hey, Maureen. This thanks is, for having me. Th- you're very welcome. This is a tough time of year for frontline workers. Um, you know, the last few years have been very tough for frontline workers. They have been worked excessive hours, leads to exhaustion. They have faced, um, you know, outrage and anger from the public after being, you know, adored and, and honored. Um, they are working short. They are not enough frontline workers. Um, Christmas is, as I said, not the most wonderful time of the year. They might be working through the holidays, not getting any time off. They might have to do a, you know, a 16-hour shift, 24-hour shift. Uh, how does that impact their mental health? Yeah, it's a tough time for a lot of, uh, you look at paramedicine in this province, Maureen. I mean, it's had a mm-hmm. tough couple of years. You look at policing over the last couple of years, I mean, I'm very outspoken of instead of defunding the police, how about we fund and support the police officers who are doing a great job. And and then you look at the fire departments out there, they're the same, they're right behind. But I know the fire service well, um, and I know what we've done since we lost a bunch of members to suicide in 2015 and 2016. And, you know, we've worked with the BCPFFA, the British Columbia Professional Firefighters Association, the Fire Chiefs Association, We've blurred the lines between management and membership, and we've tried to help the members. And in my department, I mean, we're small in the Squamalt, but all my members know how I feel about depression and anxiety, and they can walk right into my office and we can talk about it. And I think that's what's happening. The conversation is is starting to gain momentum. But, yeah, Christmas is a tough time for first responders. It's busy. It's very busy. It's, you know, how do you get men to open up? It's, it's very difficult. Um, you know, I, I see... Uh, men, women, and they in my clinical practice. And, and I mean, men will maybe book an appointment because they are desperate. They get to a point of absolute desperation. I, I mean, I'm generalizing right now, but it's very difficult for them to be vulnerable and to speak. Even though they've sought this out, they know that there's big problems in their relationship, um, but they, they are very uncomfortable and, and, you know, it can lead to depression. I deal a lot with sexless marriages. It can lead to loneliness and depression. And, um, and so, but, you know, it's really the, oftentimes the end of the road. How do we encourage men? We, we need to change the narrative on, you know, that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to seek help. It's okay to cry. But how do we do that for grown men? It's hard. I mean, I think about myself. I was a Surrey firefighter and 10 years into my career, I was looking at other firefighters um, as weak that were struggling. Like th- that was through my eyes. And then out of nowhere, I just got hammered. And, and then I had my own mental health issues. And 
what's interesting is on paper, I never miss a day of work. I had firefighters come into my life and get me into clinical counseling and, you know, they covered my shifts and I just didn't want anybody to know. So even though I was getting help, I spent a year in clinical counseling, even though I was getting help and getting better, my main concern, Maureen, is that no one knew. So I think we're worried. Men are worried about what people think. And, you know, being a first responder, it's a stoic profession. We want to look tough. We want to be strong. We want to not look weak and you know i i learned after losing a few friends to suicide i to kind of change my own narrative and and how i how i think and how i talk and you know i I think a lot of us are getting better and i think leaders are getting better as well i think we're recognizing and and we're learning about what some of the people that we've lost so i think we're getting there but men are they don't Uh they don't want to talk about it they do not yeah, and in particular for frontline workers, we only have a couple of minutes left, unfortunately. But, um, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms are positively related to suicide risk amongst firefighters. And that's from a uh, study, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms and suicide risk in male firefighters um, from the Journal of uh, Neurological Mental Disorders. And, you know, that's the thing. They they will, as you say, you go into homes and somebody has hanged themselves you know, over the stair, uh, you know, over the staircase. And, you know, that would result in PTSD for um, firefighters. You know, is that, uh, you know, I mean, it's just so difficult what, um, what firefighters go through. And, but anyway, we're, fortunately, we're up against the clock, Steve, where can people get your book? Uh, they can get it on Amazon. They can get it at Indigo. They can get it anywhere books are sold. Thanks, Maureen. I appreciate you having Fantastic. me on. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for all your great work and happiest of holidays to you and your family. Merry Christmas. Take care. Well, I'm delighted to say that the coach is in. Yannick Picard joins me on the line. He helps GBTQ plus men uncover self-sabotage and turn it into self-mastery so that they can stop feeling guilty and live a happy and fulfilling life. He's a high-performance coach and also a mindset and confidence coach, and he has a saboteur assessment link that I want to ask him about. He joins me from Montreal. Good evening, Yannick. How are you? Good evening. I am doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for for having me on the show. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're doing well because, you know, it's a tough time of year for a lot of people. We expect it to be, you know, the most wonderful time of the year. And yet for so many people, it isn't necessarily. I'd, I'd really like to talk to you about the work that you do for uh, with helping GBTQ plus men. And for those listeners out there who don't know what GBTQ plus men stands for, if you wouldn't mind explaining that. Yeah, so it's uh, it's basically sort of like a shortened um, take on, on LGBTQ. So it's uh, gay, bisexual, um, trans, queer uh, plus uh, men that are part of that, that larger um, community. Okay, fantastic. And so, you know, this is something that um, a lot of people do, but, um, you know, I was interested to see that the work you do involves um, people who self-sabotage, um, especially in the GBTQ plus community. And, you know, so they, they may not even be aware. Is that, is that correct, that they are self-sabotaging their, 
their lives, their careers, their relationships. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that actually is very very fair to say. And a lot of the times they don't realize that being stuck is a form of self sabotage, and and being stuck is is a, a, a method of of being safe, of of staying safe, even though um, the safety might not necessarily like if you look at it from from an outsider's point of view, you might not necessarily think that it's safe, but for all intents and purpose, whatever this person is, is going through at the moment, um, it is, it's their safety. It's, it's what's known versus the unknown, which is often what, um, where the fear comes from. Exactly. So is this something that they're, when you say they're stuck, and, I, and I've certainly, uh, A, been stuck myself, and, <laughs> and, and a lot of people <laughs> get stuck. They get stuck in their careers and their relationships. They don't know what to do. They're, they're faced with certain decisions. What are some of the things that the GBTQ plus community, uh, what are some of the more common things that, you know, where, where they're stuck? Well, you know what? Oftentimes, I don't necessarily think that there's a, a, an area that is, is more prevalent, but I'll say that oftentimes like relationship and friendships um, and work tend to come up fairly frequently in that group, but I don't necessarily think that it's something that's specific to that community um, as um, as a whole. I just think that it's it's something that is um, is just as prevalent in um, mm-hmm. in all of society. And so, this is a group of of people that you work with um, in particular. Yeah. You because you're you're absolutely correct. As I said, I've been stuck. Everybody has been stuck. We can often see you know, on the outside looking in and thinking, why don't they move? And, and why don't they get a new job? And why don't they get out of that relationship? You know, and, and we don't think of people being stuck. And, and I've learned something from you. Being stuck is feeling safe. I, di- I did not realize that at all, but that makes perfect sense. I was curious also about the guilt. Um, so when people are stuck, tell me, tell me about this, feeling guilty um, when people are or stuck or yeah. self-sabotage. How so, is that related? So sometimes what happens is like, for example, like feelings of guilt. It's like, oh, for example, I, um, I, I feel, I don't know, privileged. And so I feel guilt in, in going after sort of like a higher paying position, uh, a better position because of um, there's this um, feeling that um, being a tall poppy and oh, I feel I'd feel bad if I basically ended up being um, somebody who who others around me might not necessarily um, be um, or continue to to, to be uh, part, part of the group, right? And so, oftentimes, mm-hmm. guilt will uh, will play a role in um, in keeping that person in the same the the the, the stuckness, I guess, if I can if I can use that as a uh, as an expression so that that is something that that will that will play in there and i mean there's there's other ways of of looking at it um sort of like guilt or shame or or whatnot but that's definitely one of the things that um that comes up or or maybe it's something where they they don't feel that they um that they're up to the task and so sometimes guilt will actually sort of like play a role in in there. It's like, oh, they feel guilty because they felt that one of their colleagues might be better suited for the role. And so that plays in um, in, in the equation. 
very interesting. Now, do people think that they don't deserve it for one reason or another? Oh, oftentimes, yeah. Like oftentimes, I mean, like if we take a look at relationships, oftentimes people will think that, hey, you know what? Like, I don't think that, like, I'm that great. And mm-hmm. so, so they'll sabotage the relationship because they have a, a deeply held belief that they're not worth it. And so what they'll do is that they'll, they'll find that person, they'll connect with them, everything will go well. And then that at a subconscious level, it's not going to, it's not going to, the equation's not going to work out and like, okay, well, wait a sec, this person's treating me very well, but I don't think that I'm worth it. So the sabotage kicks in and the person sort of like starts looking for evidence that, um, that it's true, that, Hey, that mm-hmm. they're not worth, that they're not worth it. So for example, um, the person that they've been dating, everything's going well for, for a period of time, they'll have to stay late at work one night. And maybe that'll just trigger a fear in the person saying, well, wait a sec, like this has never happened before. And then as a means of protection, they'll start asking questions. And so, and, and what that might do in, in the other person is, is remind them of the time where like maybe they had a, a previous ex that was controlling mm-hmm. and they'll identify that this, this new person is acting or they're seeing it in the same way as, well, that's kind of controlling. And so it'll just sort of like unravel where like at the, I would say it's sort of like the, the, um, the, the certain level is, is just like, like they're both like a, amazing people it's just that a certain event came up and it sort of like triggered one person into remembering something from their past and then their way of being changed which then triggered the other person if that makes sense and and who's i'm just not 100 percent clear on who's actually doing the self-sabotage there or are both of them doing the same the self-sabotage is that possible yeah absolutely they in in a lot of cases um, they'll both be unaware that they're doing mm-hmm. it um, and that they're basically sort of like I don't want to say uh, they're, they're it's almost like they're playing off of one another at an unconscious level. Oh, interesting. And, and so self sabotage is basically, um, if I could sum it up, uh, it's I'm not deserving of this. I'm really not good enough. They're going to find out who I am. I'm going to do things in the relationship to ruin it. Is that, <laughs> I mean, uh, none of this is intentional, things. of course. <laughs> right. That's... But among, amongst other things, like, for example, like one of my big traits was I was an avoider. And so mm-hmm. as opposed to, to ask questions or, um, or just get curious, I would just avoid having a conversation, for example, because the story that played out in my head is that, oh, well, if I ask too many questions, um, they'll think that like I'm nosy and it's none of my business and, and they'll just leave. So I'll just basically, I'll, I'll avoid and, um, and it'll just, it'll just fix itself. My guest is Yannick Picard. He helps GBTQ plus men uncover self-sabotage and turn it into self-mastery so they can stop feeling guilty and live a happy and fulfilled life. He's also a high performance coach and a mindset and confidence coach. Thanks so much for staying on the line. Yannick, it's a very interesting conversation. It's not just uh, for the GBTQ plus community. A lot of people self-sabotage in their relationships, in their careers, with their families, 
um, with their children. I mean, there's everything is about relationships and relationships are just so important. Um, and, you know, Yannick, thanks for staying on the line. It's so interesting that the self-sabotage is related to feeling guilty. You talked a little bit about your own self-sabotaging ways, uh, being the avoider. Uh, I'm probably the over-asker. <laughs> Makes sense, right, as a radio person. <laughs> anyway, um, from positive intelligence, you have a there is a, a saboteur assessment. Tell me a little bit about what that is and what the benefits are. Yeah, so it's a free assessment that uh, that anyone um, can do. So it's not like geared directly to a specific group. It's, it's anyone can take it. It takes about seven or eight minutes to complete, and you'll get the email. Uh, you'll get the results emailed to you usually within about ten to fifteen minutes, and you'll get the score out of like. You, there's nine saboteurs, and so you'll get a, a grade on each of them, and you'll get a description for each and every one of them. And you'll, that's basically, for me, that was the aha moment. Because I knew that I avoided things, for example, but I, I never fully understood like, what it was about, um, how it came about, and so on until I completed the assessment and I got the results. And that's really when the lights turned on for me. It's, it's, and is, I, I could no is, longer not see it. Right. And is that step one? That is that the awareness piece that doing that assessment? Yes. Yeah, okay. that would be and number then, one. Be go yeah. ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, so completing the assessment and getting the results and just, just reading through the results. And the results will often list some of, well, actually like a lot of, of the, um, the behaviors, some of the, the feelings, some of the emotions that come up that are attached with each of the, the, the nine saboteurs. Um, and, and so it's really just listen, going through the, the results and, and taking what the results basically are there and, and just looking in your own life, like sort of like looking in your day to day, like the past week, the past month, and seeing, wait a sec, mm -hmm. like, like, yeah, I noticed this behavior. And now I have a name for it. And okay, so, so great. That's amazing. Now I, I know that, that I can do something about it. And what are some of the other saboteurs? You, you talked about avoiders such as yourself or yeah. for your former self. Yeah, so, <laughs> yes. So there's the controller for example, um, there is the hyperachiever, there is um, the hypervigilant, there is the restless, there is the stickler, aka the perfectionist, um, there's the victim. And so there's, there's a total of nine of them. And, and the great thing is that you will get, you'll get the, the report with a score for each of the nine saboteurs. And a short description about like, hey, it's like, what is a saboteur? Like, like, what is, how does it show up? What to look for? And, and, and this is something that I, I share with, with people who complete the, the assessment is that, you know, when you, um, when you, when you get the flu, the doctor will say, well, here are some of the symptoms of the flu. Well, it's the mm -hmm. same thing with the saboteur assessment results. It's like, here are some of the behaviors. You don't need to have all of the behaviors to have to, to basically be an avoider or um, be a, uh, a stickler or a hyperachiever, for example. But as long as you tick off like like 
like several of them, um, you're likely to basically have that saboteur or, or have that saboteur basically show up from time to time in your day-to-day -day life. And what about the denier <laughs> who says, I, I'm perfect? I guess that's the perfectionist, huh? So, so the denier basically is, that's an interesting one because it, it's not a, a saboteur per se, but the question that, that you or, or I would ask is like, okay, so, I mean, we all self-sabotage to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. What makes you think that you don't? Like, and, right. and so like, what, what makes you think that, that you don't and what might be the benefit of, of you thinking that you don't self-sabotage? And, and, but I think there'd be a whole lot more benefits for people to admit their sabot their saboteurs, if you will, um, and, right. and get the help. And so that would be the next step. Well, first I want yeah, to ask exactly. you how, how do we take this saboteur assessment? Yeah, so if um, you can actually um, either visit my, my LinkedIn profile, um, Yannick Picard, or you, if you want to Google positive intelligence saboteur um, mm -hmm. assessment, it should normally be the number one um, or the number two result uh, in, the, um, in the search results. And then just go ahead and complete the saboteur assessment. It's, it's free, and it only requires that you provide uh, an email address where mm -hmm. you will get your emails um, sent to you usually within about 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so that would be step one. And that's, then step two, I guess it's very important to find out what the problem is before anybody can make changes. Yeah, no, exactly. The, the next thing that I, I often ask is like, okay, so now that you know, take a look and just see like, hey, is this coming up? And is this something that I can see is a detriment in my relationships, either with like mm -hmm. with with my spouse, um, with my friends, uh, colleagues at work is like, is this showing up and is detrimental to my career? Um, mm -hmm. Is this detrimental? And just, just like, you know what, just take a look and see what's there. There's nothing wrong with having an avoider saboteur or having a controller saboteur. These are all adaptive behaviors and, and it doesn't mean anything about you. And that's what I think a lot of people sometimes think is that, oh, I don't want to get this label. It's, it's not a label. It's, it, we're not basically saying it's like, oh, it's like you are, um, a controller. It's like, no, it's like there's a controller saboteur that's in you that gets, um, that, that gets awoken that's get, and hijacks you from time to time. And so take a look, see what's there. And then the question, again, is, is all about awareness that is there a negative impact? Is it impacting you now? Has it impacted you negatively in the past? Do you want to do something about it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's the thing. Do you want to have better relationships and as you say lead a more fulfilling life but do people get stuck there too that they're almost fearful that they don't think they deserve that wonderful life yeah well a lot of people just think that hey it's like like how like i'm not deserving of this and so so sometimes like we just get to unravel that in in a conversation and, and really sort of like get to the bottom of like, okay, so 
what, like, where does that belief come from? Because oftentimes these beliefs aren't even, like, it's not even the person who I'm having the conversation with. It's a belief that something that they heard from their parents or maybe their grandparents or, or something that they, that they experienced because they were with their best friend and their best friend experienced that. And so being kids or, or, or being young adolescents, um, they just don't have that discernment that is built the way that adults do. And so they mm-hmm. kind of like, they're sponges, right? They like, we take that on like a sponge and we just like, oh, it's like, it's, it's a liquid. So we'll just absorb it. And then we make it our own. Exactly. It's fascinating, Yannick. I really appreciate you coming on the program and I wish we had more time, but thank you so much for all of this great information. We'll definitely get you back. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be delighted to come back. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you on this hour of the program. We have lots to talk about. We're going to be talking about the physical fitness trends for 2023 and also the true meaning of the holiday season. But right now, going to be talking about a very, very important medical subject. Each year, 3 million older people are treated in emergency departments across North America for fall injuries. Over 800,000 patients a year in North America are hospitalized because of a fall injury, most often because of a head injury or a hip fracture. And over 300,000 people a year are hospitalized for hip fractures. Falls are the leading cause of injuries, hospitalizations for trauma, and injury-related deaths among young people as well. This is a very important subject, which is why I've invited Dr. Tomi Mitchell to come on the program. You've heard her voice before. She's a medical doctor all about wellness and prevention and health. She's a coach, a public speaker, and she joins me on the line. Dr. Mitchell, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure, Marie. Thank you. Happiest of the holiday season to you as well. Thank you. You know what? You're very welcome. Um, we know it's a tough time of year for, for many people, and especially people who have taken a fall. Um, a lot of people are very nervous about taking uh, or, or about falling, especially as they age. What causes falls in older adults typically? You know, it could be something simple as just slipping on a rug, water. Um, definitely in older adults, there are physiological things that can make them more prone to fall. Definitely if they're struggling with like their eyesight, so per- um, perception is altered or hearing or reflexes. All of those things are important when you're trying to stay balanced. Also, chronic illnesses we know are very common, like diabetes, heart disease, thyroid conditions, all of which can also affect your balance. Diabetes specifically because it can cause like nerve damage, which can affect the way you feel, like the um, sensation on the floor, which then can increase risk of falling. Blood pressure pills, how many seniors are on like multiple drugs, which many of them side effects is dizziness and fall, right? Confusion. So absolutely. It's, it's a lot. Uh, the, that polypharmacy, which you mentioned, you know, it, it's exactly. uh, so important to have an, at least an annual review of medication. Something you mentioned, you mentioned water. <laughs> and yes, water can be on the floor, but a lot of people as they age, it's not 
because of aging, but it's associated with aging, leak urine. Yes. And so yes. urinary incontinence is also places people at great risk of falling for a number of reasons. They can leak urine and slip on that. They can also yes. have urgency, which they rush off to, uh, to the bathroom in the middle of the night. There may be things on the floor and they can trip over something like that. But it's important that people get treated for urinary incontinence. There are so many treatments. You don't have to live that way. This is my little PSA. Leaking urine is never normal. I treat patients all the time with this, with conservative measures. And, uh, you know, rarely do we even have to use medication. So that's my, my little thing. <laughs> anyway, when I was doing a little Definitely. research for this, Dr. Mitchell, I, I was surprised kind of to learn that foot problems that cause pain and um, can also uh, lead to, is it, it puts people at risk um, for falls along with uh, sarcopenia. What exactly is sarcopenia? Yeah, it's a fancy word for age-related loss of muscle mass. You know, mm -hmm. we see so many elderly, older, I don't like elderly for 65, 65-year-olds so are typically young. But anyway, they kind of, that frail idea, so that's muscle mass gone, mm -hmm. basically skin and bones. So that's sarcopenia. Right. And a lot of people as they age have difficulty with balance and gait as well. And, and they might have postural hypotension, um, which you can explain to the audience exactly what that yeah, is. Yeah. So the way I like to describe to my patients is basically when you get up in the morning, don't just jump out of bed like your spring chicken. I know you got stuff to do. Take a moment, to, you know, put your feet over the edge of the bed, pause, drink water, and then slowly get up. Because sometimes when we change our position quickly, our brain has a challenges keeping up with that change of position, and then that results in dizziness, dropping blood pressure, all of which can increase risk of falling, vertigo, and so many other challenges most of us at some point will experience at some point. So Absolutely. I want to ask you about steps to preventing falls, but before then, I just wanted to mention that older adults with mild cognitive impairment or certain types of dementia are, of course, at a higher risk of falling, but it's important to take steps in one's life, correct me if I'm wrong, to prevent yes. dementia, to, to prevent yes. Alzheimer's, like yes. alcohol consumption, excessive alcohol consumption, and a lot of people are lifelong drinkers, and then... They start to yes. have cognitive deficits, um, you know, poor nutrition, inappropriate nutrition, high diets, high in sugar, that kind of thing. All of that can lead yes. to dementia. Nobody ever thinks it's going to happen to them. And there's but one other thing it, I like to remind my patients, yeah. sorry, it's just like most people forget this. It's that blood pressure. Yeah. We think of hypertension as like 135, 140. But honestly, mm -hmm. our brain likes it, our systolic top number to be in the teens, we know that yeah. controlling that blood pressure while you're young, keep it in that 112, 120, like even 120 is a stretch. You want to keep it in the low teens, unless it's a medical reason that it should be higher, but optimal blood pressure, not this normal stuff. That normal stuff will increase risk of um, dementia down the road. You want to be optimal. Okay. So Absolutely. that's something that people forget so often. And I, it, it's so important. So you are singing my provider. song. Yes, yeah, I hear please. patients I say, my, my blood pressure is 140 over 90. My doctor says it's fine. It's like, it's not no, fine. I totally agree with you. It, it yeah, exactly. And I hear that people, professionals saying that it's not fine. It's not okay. It's not. Your body keeps score. Your body keeps track. So, yeah, you got a, a topic that I love. 
Dementia of the brain. That's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it. Your body keeps score. What a great line. I love it. I might borrow it. Um, Okay, so steps to take to prevent falls. So how should people, um, you know, actually, what, what are the kinds of things that they should do to prevent falls? Because they can be so detrimental and really interrupt your life. Yeah, so basically look at your home. Pretend if you were, um, let's say, hearing impaired, visual impaired, and have mobility challenges. Like, what's in the way? Most homes are too cluttered. There's too much stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So clear the way. Um, make sure the surfaces are smooth. If you have, if you're, if you're able to model, try to avoid having lots of stairs. Often living in a bungalow might be a great option if you're downsizing. Um, rugs, like... Be careful with them. Some rugs are tripping hazards. Reevaluate them. Is this necessary? Taking care of your health, um, staying as fit as you can, because having that muscle strength, that you know, working on making sure your reflexes are still good, can help you in case you are in a situation where you're a high risk of fall. And being that the holidays are coming, you know, those with older loved ones. Have those conversations. Like, go look at their home. Like, if grandma or mom were to have, you know, a challenge with their sugars or something, would you feel comfortable with them going through the house? Start having those conversations now before uh-huh. grandma breaks her hip. And that's absolutely horrible, right. It, it, it certainly is. How about sleep? How important is sleep for people? Sleep is crucial because when you go, I think it's like even like two, three nights of poor sleep, you're basically walking drunk. Really are. Mm-hmm. So sleep is critical. It's it's something we need to take care of every night, not just on weekends. That's not enough to catch up on. It should be that's true because more nights than right. Yeah, if you're tired, mm-hmm. you're more likely to fall as well. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. Something I was surprised, which I didn't even really think of, but, you know, oftentimes uh, doctors or healthcare providers will um, prescribe or suggest an assistive device um, for patients. And so, you know, canes or walkers to to help prevent falls. But, you know, people might borrow one from somebody or, you know, might have one in the garage. <laughs> um, but it's important that it's the right size. You know, there are yeah. the wheels roll smoothly, you know. That's that's something yeah. else that people should consider. Would you would you say like we often recommend things one. and then we don't take it to that next level? Yes, one size does not fit all. Okay, it doesn't. That's the misnomer. So it needs to be fitted for you. It needs to be it needs to be in working order. How often you you have a walk? I think you'll have a walker that be, like was three generations passed down, and it's not mm-hmm. safe, right? Ex- so exactly. definitely talk. Talk to those who are experts in this, like the physical therapists, occupational therapists, people who deal with mobility every single day. Mm-hmm. Right. And as we head That's- into winter, it's also a time for people um, to be careful about snow and ice. Yeah, you guys got a lot of snow this in Vancouver, this, I'm told, over in BC. <laughs> uh, across so, yeah, the B- country. Mo- Montreal the country. has gotten hit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots, lots of um, snow happening and, you know, people can, um, you know, they want to go out, they want to be active, but, you know, they also have to think of their um, risk of their fall. But what do people do if they do fall? Well, you got to keep calm, right? That's the first mm-hmm. thing. If you call for help and just be careful before you try to get up because 
you might not realize the extent of the damage you've done immediately. And if you get up the wrong way, you could really hurt yourself, especially if we're talking about like spinal, um, like vertebrae issues or other things. So get help. I would call for help. And then if you can't, well, I would slowly crawl to like a chair or something to prop yourself up. Um, hopefully you never have to experience this, but based on the stats, it's fairly common. My guest is Dr. Tommy Mitchell. I wanted to talk, Dr. Mitchell, uh, briefly about Brittany Griner and her, her yeah. ordeal. Brittany Griner is the Phoenix Mercury Center who is, was serving was serving a nine-year prison sentence on drug charges in what was widely viewed as a political stunt by the Kremlin in reaction to U.S. sanctions against Russia for its unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. There's so much sadness around the world today, especially at this time of year. She has been released, fortunately, but um, I was thinking about her mental health, especially when I saw an article that said that back in October, her wife feared for her wife's mental health, for Brittany's mental health, and that the decorated player's mind was fading in Russian custody. She's been released now. She's been through a tremendous ordeal. It's the holiday season. What can we expect of her? I mean, I'm sure everybody's thinking, oh, fantastic, she's released, she'll be all good now. But she no. Chances are no. she may not be all good. Yeah. Yeah. How challenging yeah. will this be for her? This will be extreme, profoundly challenging because remember, this was there's so many levels of trauma for this experience, right? And she was made a puppet, basically, and mm-hmm. very public, right? And a mm-hmm. then also a vulnerable population of society, right? So there's many layers, and you don't go through this in scarred. The just the flashback. She would have seen horrific things. Being um, in prison in a basically a like a work camp, putting it nicely, is horrific. Um, the insults, the the possible physical abuse, definitely emotional abuse she would have received would be mind-boggling. You don't undo that in the middle of a war, not knowing when you will see the light of day, not knowing if you'll even survive, right? Right. Being left in the dark, literally, and not knowing, like, the outcome. Like, her family didn't even know where she was for a period of time. So I expect... That's right. Likely lifelong trauma. Lifelong. Oh, wow. Wow. And I wondered if she would feel any guilt for, you know, getting... Allegedly getting herself into that predicament. You know, which is, guilt is such a difficult emotion. Um, but you would feel like you would want to turn back time in your mind. 100%. You know, she probably replays the, you know, that many times a day. Like, how could something so small, right, warrant such a huge punishment? And um, just the survivor's guilt. Think about it. The U.S. Right. government um, were able to get her release in exchange for, like, a notorious, like, I think as a murderer and did all kinds of other stuff, right? And feeling like, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, they picked me over somebody else who's been in the Russian custody for longer. So, there's again, there's there will be guilt. That's inevitable. And people, 
here is, is she read even a quarter of what people are posting online on, you know, articles. And it's just reading that is just would bring guilt and shame. People are saying awful things, just like they do with any situation that comes to the news. But it's like, there's good, there's bad, and there's ugly. And I can only imagine the pain she is going through right now, even though she's happy to uh, be home, you know? Of course, absolutely. But it would just be, I would just would imagine she would suffer that post-traumatic stress and and guilt and I'm suppo- I'm free now, I'm supposed to feel good and I don't and, you know, potentially she doesn't. Um, you know, so many contradictory feelings I would imagine that she would have, as you mentioned, survivor's guilt, but also joy to be reunited with her wife, um, you know, held up as a pawn, you know, just, yeah, yeah, and it's really tough when, you know, the power of the written word, really tough when people are nasty and, you know, people just stop at nothing to be so nasty these days. They you know, are, just say, yeah, it's so bad. Horrible. Horrific things online, you know, about people and then that spreads and that creates a culture of hate and, yeah. you know, and people's lives become endangered as a result of that sort of, um, you know, that, that hate culture really. And you know what, it's often just people who are bored, people who are, you have nothing else to do. People who are just nasty or mean, and it's just, it's just awful. And it, you know, it's just think, think, when is this going to end? When are we going to have empathy, kindness, compassion for people on on a world scale? Anyway, Hmm. well, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Always appreciate your contribution and, um, yeah, so have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you, too. Chat later. This is a subject that I am very um, happy to be talking about. You know, I like to plan ahead a little bit, you know, being the control freak that I am. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm actually far more spontaneous than anything else, but that's why I like this because I think we all have to prep this for next year. What I'm talking about is your health and your wellness, what we talk about every Sunday night on the show, and especially for women. But I want to talk about it from the perspective of physical fitness. Joining me on the line is yet another Maureen, Mo Hagen, CEO of Can Fit Pro. And she's going to talk to us about fitness trends coming in 2023. Good evening, Mo. How are you? I'm fantastic, Maureen. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. I really appreciate it. So, you know, I've been thinking in my head, um, I, I, I like to work out outdoors. I have to be honest. I like to, let's see, hike and bike and swim. And you can't always do those things in uh, the cold climate in where where I live. Um, But I was also thinking about, you know, picking up ice skating again. I just have a desire to, you know, start skating. And I'm kind of thinking about some other um, fitness things. But, you know, I like to do that I can do well, I can potentially do well. Um, how important is physical fitness? Well, it is the foundation for doing everything in life well. Uh, first of all, I, I say that living life to the fullest is a sport in itself. And just like all athletes who train for their sport, we need to train for living life the way that we want to define it. By the way, I love doing outside fitness classes. I actually teach a fitness class every Sunday on my street for my neighbors and wow. we do it all 
we do it all year long. It was birthed during the pandemic, during the lockdown yeah. of the fitness industry. So you can also add outdoor fitness to your roster if you'd like, if there is such a thing. That's right. And actually, there is um, a community center near me that they have actually brought the bikes outside. They do have outdoor um, classes. Um, I think one of my problems, too, is that I just like to, I'm just going to go now. And I, you know, I, because I'm, right. I am busy. I'm busy. I don't have the time to um, <laughs> to set the time. Oh, I'll have to be at this class at 10 a.m. Um, I have a friend who teaches the spin cycle class, and she's always like, get over here. It's 6 o'clock this morning, which is, I'm just like, not really. <laughs> I'm going to go. I am going to go. Um, but some of these activities that, that we're talking about are, um, you know, some of the things that people have been doing. But what's on the horizon uh, for 2023 for um, fitness trends? Wow, that's a really loaded question. And the great news is so <laughs> many diverse and different opportunities. The biggest thing that we will cite at uh, Campfit Pro in our trends report is the popularity of what we call functional and accessible fitness. What I mean by that is uh, the way that you train in fitness to make all your activities of daily living better. And I think this came somewhat from the pandemic in that people started exercising on their own, at home, without equipment. Equipment was hard to get. So functional fitness is actually comprised of activities including body weight strength training. So moving your body as a weight, doing the primal movements such as squats, lunges, hip hinges, what they call deadlifts in the gym, uh, pushing and pulling, you know, those things people love like push-ups and rowing. Uh, also, uh, when you just move your body, such as power walking or any of the activities such as what you mentioned off the top, uh, the favorite sporting activities people love to do throughout the different seasons of the year. Another part of functional training is training your core so that you have a strong back to protect yourself against injury, especially as you age. And lastly, People, no matter their age, and this is what I find fascinating amongst all the generations, are really looking to balance and stability training, things that will support them to do their favorite activities, whether it's dancing or whether it is being able to play golf or to um, play their favorite winter sports. I mean, curling is a very popular sport, and it requires all of the mentioned um, uh, parts of functional training that I just stated. That is our number one trend. And that is actually inclusive of our number two trend, which is active aging and programs for the active ager or the aging population. We don't like to call them seniors. We like to call them aging adults or um, older adults. And it is the number one, number two trend. Why the population is aging very quickly Surprisingly, Maureen, 85 years of age and older is the fastest growing part of the population. And they too want to live life to the fullest. Uh, age is only a number. It's how you define it. And it's most, mostly about your attitude and your health. So those That's are the right. first two. And if I could add... And we're all uh, aging. We're all right? aging. I mean, aging by definition... I mean, we can get really metaphoric about it and say it starts when you're born, but 
aging really, you start to see declines in your health, your ability to move freely, uh, pain-free, and uh, be that strong, vital, individual, independent person starting at the age of 25. And I teach mm-hmm. group fitness today. I just turned 61, and I can keep pace, if not kick those 25-year-olds in the butt in terms of their <laughs> fitness or, or health levels. So really, it is about uh, what you want to achieve, and then it's about working in a way that motivates you, because that's important, so you'll, you'll do it. But most people need the motivation of a fitness instructor or a personal trainer just for that accountability, the guidance, et cetera. So really, it's about finding things you love. And one of the things oh, yeah. that is our number three trend is group fitness, uh, defined by three or more people, just getting together with friends or joining people in a class, in a gym setting, in a community setting, in an outdoor community setting, and doing mm-hmm. physical activity together. That's what keeps people doing it consistently, and that is the key for success, is doing it consistently. It's not actually how much you do, but doing it on a regular basis. That will give you the results to get you all those um, goals that everybody strives for, especially this time of year. Mm -hmm. I feel like I should be going to a body pump class, to, you know, the spin cycle. I I should be doing that to augment the you know, really what I like to do is sports, tennis, <laughs> skiing, swimming, you know, and I think that would most likely help me to perform better, if you will. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Not at all. As a licensed physiotherapist and a certified fitness professional of 40 years, I will tell you that, uh, you know, sport, yes, it is part genetics, but it is how you train. It's the environment that you put yourself in. Uh, throughout the years that helps you prepare your body and also preserve your body, your mind, and your confidence level to play the sports or to participate in your favorite sports. Uh, Most people fear, especially as they age or if they've been away from a sport for even a season, they fear they're going to injure themselves. And so when you're Mm -hmm. physically training, mimicking the movements for the sport, then you actually, your brain-body connection, your muscle-mind connection is as sharp as the skill itself. And that in itself will build your confidence level, which will lower risk for falls, for slips, for mess-ups, or, you know, for wrongful movement patterns. So you want to train. That's why you see people, uh, especially in, as they age, playing sports um, better than they did when they were busy in their corporate careers, in their retirement years, playing better and more consistently than they did because now they have the time. The question is, do they have their health? Right, exactly. That's where fitness is a non-negotiable. Absolutely. And fitness is so important for people as they age, uh, as aging adults, um, because of the risk of falls and fractures. Um, How can being in good shape uh, prevent falls and fractures, which are a great risk for people as they age? Well, the first thing I already mentioned, it's actually the fear of falling itself Mm -hmm. is what actually increases the risk for falling because people will focus on that and they will tend to guard against moving freely and functionally. 
also, as you become fit or as you maintain your fitness level and your lean muscle, not only strength, but your lean muscle density and mass, that improves your strength to perform the movements that people start to uh, weaken in performance. So as you watch people age, they don't necessarily walk with that strong stride. They shuffle. Mm -hmm. And when you shuffle, there's more risk of tripping and falling. Also, as you do, as you strengthen your muscles, Maureen, I think you're probably well aware, especially as a female, focused on female health and wellness, is that bone density is the most important thing. We don't see our bones, but our bones tell us how they are doing when you have a little slip up or fall. And it's something that you've probably done many times throughout your life, but you do it when you're in your 50s or beyond and you have a bone fracture and or a stress fracture. You think, I didn't even fall that hard, but it's because you need bone density as you age. So all of the things that we do all add up to good health inside and out. Absolutely. Mo, I have loved all the information. You've inspired me to get back to the gym in 2023. I really appreciate you coming on the program. Oh, my pleasure and happy holidays. I hope everyone has a healthy and happy holiday season and uh, great to be with you this evening. Well, we are firmly in the holiday season and it's safe to say that People have mixed feelings about it. We've had a lot of loss recently. Although this time of year is particularly festive, it can also bring up stress, conflict, financial struggles, pain, illness, loss. There's so much that people have to deal with. Another one is the apprehension of tense family gatherings or or anxiety over not purchasing the right gift. It's it's not uncommon that people feel burdened when thinking about the holidays and what they signify or that they're having very high expectations only to be disappointed. But you can shift that perspective if you're one of those types of people who put a lot of stock into holidays and want everything perfect. I know somebody who stressed over every Christmas and never enjoyed one and then received a devastating diagnosis and said that next Christmas, they just enjoyed the people and the relationships and the gift of the fact that they were still here. But if you are somebody who stresses over the holidays, wants it so perfect, is suffering financially or is in conflict with somebody, there are some ways that you can reframe your viewpoint to improve or enhance your enjoyment around the holidays. We have to remember that the holiday season is about rejuvenation. And for those who celebrate Christmas, for example, as a religious holiday, it's quite a spiritual time of year. But oftentimes people look at the commercialization of it. For those who are part of the Christian faith, it's an important moment to look back at the birth of Jesus, the teachings, the blessings, and also reconnect to one's spirit. It's the same thing for those who celebrate Hanukkah. It's about a perspective. Um, You know, it's about going from darkness into light. And if we put things in perspective, this is one of the best ways that we can mentally 
and spiritually recharge. Even if you don't celebrate the holidays from a religious standpoint, and a lot of people don't, you want to take this time to appreciate the compassion, the empathy, the love that is all part of your life. You want to look at your relationships. You want to really count your blessings, even if you're not a religious person. What are some of the positive things in your life? And, you know, I was talking with a few friends earlier, and we were talking about how many people struggle, how many people have issues. And the holidays can be a very typically stressful time for people. Nobody goes unscathed in this life, but really this is a time to recharge, to reconnect, enjoy the twinkling lights, the end of the year gatherings that break from work, maybe you have a few days off. It's an ideal opportunity to to take stock and be grateful, be grateful for the good things that you do have going on. Oftentimes there are people who look at the glass half full and others who look at it half empty or very empty. They play the martyr or the victim. They don't actually stop and think of things that they're grateful for, like the ability to walk or breathe or to live life pain-free. A lot of people suffer with a lot of medical issues, and with those come side effects from medications and uh, fatigue, chronic pain, um, sadness, depression. So many people suffer. But if you take a look and think, what, what am I grateful for? What do I have? And really go back to basics on that. I'm not talking about a fabulous car or an amazing house. I'm talking about a good relationship with somebody or good health. The perfect family is a myth. I want to say that. There are no perfect families. It doesn't exist. Perfectionism does not exist. And so to expect that, you might only be disappointed. And in fact, I often say to my patients, expect nothing. Anything you get is a gift. Because when we have high expectations, we don't get what we're hoping for. You're living in a sea of disappointment. You know, the holiday season is a time to appreciate the abundance that you've been given in whatever form it may take for you. And that can be food on your table, a roof over your head, gifts, family, as I mentioned, good health, good fortune. You know, there are times in life when things are going really well, and then there are times in life when things just aren't going that well. But even when things aren't going that well, it has a tendency to give you strength give you strength to have a stronger relationship, give you the strength to know that you can overcome something that was extremely challenging. The holidays have really become far too materialistic. And, you know, to think about all, to focus so much on gift giving within your family, potentially that might be a a very, very fortunate family And there are so many fortunate families, but by the same token, there are way more less fortunate families. And maybe it's time to think about, why don't we give to a less fortunate family? Why don't we adopt a family that is not as blessed as we are, for example? We do that. And, you know, it makes you feel good. And it's also, I think it's economical and it's smart and it's fiscally responsible And it's not false economy and something that I'm not a big fan of, and that's false economy. 
I mean, just how many gadgets and sweaters and new clothes can one get? Anyway, we've got to carefully consider avoiding that trap of materialism. And, and don't forget, above all else, the holidays are a time to connect. So I hope you're enjoying these holidays. I wish you all the happiest of holidays. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.